Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Herb Podcast. Welcome to our show in episode 456, as we share the truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her, oh my gosh, it's going to be her food and fitness to your unique female physiology for that strong, lean body that you want. Ha! I caught you at that, didn't I? All of you out there, this is going to be such a special show and one that I know you'll want to take a lot of notes, a lot of notes. Before we begin, please know that this episode is sponsored by Solaray Vitamins, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y, vitamins, minerals, and herbs rooted in nature. They have a special gift for women, the new award-winning Her Life Stages products, providing support for the menstrual years, including PMS, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. This is an integrative, holistic approach to having a woman's back throughout her entire life journey. To learn more about her life stages, run on over to your local health food store or check it out at solaray.com. You'll be glad you did. And here's your first reminder to click on iTunes to rate and review today's show because the Herb Podcast team just loves to hear your feedback. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about her. Ah, well, let's see now. A brand new book, How to Match Your Food and Fitness to Your Unique female physiology for a strong, lean body. The author is Dr. Stacy Sims. Stacy, welcome back to the Her Podcast. Hey, Pam. Thanks for having me. This is just so wonderful. I know we had you on for your last book, which was amazing. And basically a way to be able to show that Women, especially endurance athletes, can really keep it going all the way through their 50s, 60s, and beyond. Everyone out there, Stacey Sims is a PhD in exercise physiology and nutrition science. And what she has done is published over 100 peer-reviewed papers, several books, and is regularly featured speaker at professional and academic conferences, but she also has her own business, and that's found at drstacysims.com, where she creates and delivers online learning material focused on women training with their physiology across the lifespan. Why'd you write this new book? Well, the book is really updated from our very first book and science evolves. So the first book roar was written, gosh, when my daughter was a few months old and now she's 11. So if we look at how science evolves, I wanted to bring, you know, the updated stuff out and add to it to answer a lot of the questions that we had gotten over the years. So this new book is really geared for the everyday athlete not so much the high performance athlete. And it's really explaining everything from puberty through postmenopause and 
trying to really debunk a lot of the myths that are out there, trying to show women what they can do to really improve themselves from a physical and mental standpoint from the time they're going through puberty all the way through pregnancy into postmenopause. Why do you think this kind of book is so important right now? Oh, because we have so much misinformation out there and no follow through. So you might hear something like, I'm going to pick on this anyway, on zone two training. And we hear all this fabulous stuff on zone two training, but we don't hear the follow through that it's really not that appropriate for women because their bodies are already at the capacity that zone two training normally makes men. So it's that misinformation and that misstep that's so pervasive through media, through fitness outlets and that kind of stuff. So being a scientist, I just really want women to understand and take the lens to think for themselves. Even some of the research that's coming out asking, is this based on the population that's appropriate for me or is it based on another population? I think that a lot of women... Well, you know, you know, I've been on board of the American College of Sports Medicine. And one of the things I've learned over the years, many years I've been with ACSM, is the paucity, how little information there has been on women and physical activity. And I think you really hit it home. I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book when you basically said women are not just little men. Expound on that. So that tagline has become, I don't know, I guess really a mantra for so many people. But it started as a way for me to wake undergrads up when I was teaching at Stanford. Class would be about one or two in the afternoon and people would be very sleepy. So I'd start my lecture in some part, some different phrase of women are not small men. And it was just a way to set the stage to have people think outside of that constant male lens that we see everything through from scientific design to the way things are researched to the way things are written in textbooks, just to get people to think differently and say, hey, wait a second. Okay, well, how does this apply to women? Does it apply to women? And as a man saying, well, okay, this applies to me, but how might this be different for women? Just to start that thought process before we would get into the nuts and bolts and in the weeds of different sex difference lectures. And when I launched a sport nutrition company, we had a women's line that became the tagline to get people to understand that, yes, there are differences and we're addressing these differences in a consumer product with a lot of education around it. And so then that kind of took off in popular media. And then, you know, I did my TED talk and women are not small men because it's so catchy and it really gets people to pause and say, hmm, okay, what does this mean? Now we're really seeing it in the uptake of, yeah, okay, women are not small men. So how does this apply to me? What should I be doing? How am I paying attention to the research that's coming out? What are some of the the messages that are coming through the fitness media, is it really appropriate? To me, it's a great way to get people to have that pause and to think differently. Gotcha. I'm going to ask you to speak to something that constantly comes up when you're looking at this whole issue of men and women who are physically active. Sometimes I don't use the A word athlete because honestly, I see women who are like, I'm sure you see this all the time who are quite physically active, they're clearly not elite athletes, but they love 
to cycle, or maybe they're on a master swim team, or they go out there for the run and challenge themselves with, you know, whatever kind of race, but they've got a life, you know, <laughs> they have a, a job and maybe they're taking care of kids or, you know, whatever the issue may be. But when they're thinking about how to take care of themselves in terms of the nutrition that they need, I think there's been a lot of confusion around protein. How much protein do you actually need? I tend to err on the side of more, especially when women are more physically active like that. I'm not talking about someone who literally is a couch potato and and barely moves. I'm talking about someone who's like deliberately just getting it out there and, you know, trying to remain as physically active as is humanly possible. I talked to Stuart Phillips, you know, and a lot of my ACSM friends who are experts in the field. And, you know, we err on the side of 1.4 grams per kilogram up to 1.6 grams per kilogram, unless you have someone who's just huge, really quite muscular and doing ridiculous amount of performance. But that's a heck of a lot more than most women are eating. I think. I don't know. What's your experience with that, Stacy? Yeah, most women are completely under protein and most likely under caloried. And I'm talking about the very active woman. And the woman you were describing, I still consider an athlete. Anyone who moves on purpose and has a specific idea about what physical activity is doing for them, I consider an athlete. You know, I agree with you. It's just a funniest thing when I call a woman that who is just like ridiculously, you know, sometimes they push back and they, you know, get all kind of, you know, red in the, and they go, well, I'm not like an athlete. Cause I think yeah. there's like a stereotype of someone who looks like you. <laughs> I am you know, not an athlete. Not- I train for life now, Pam. I train for life. I'm just like there the you woman go. you were describing. It's like, <laughs> I have a kid, I've got a job, I've got business, and I just try to stay healthy. So yeah. And in that, you know, I've transferred from being an elite athlete into the everyday athlete. And the mainstay is protein. It's like, it's so important. I would even err on the side of 1.6 to 2.0 grams per kilo, especially as we get older. We wrote a position stand that came out towards the beginning of the year, and we're really looking at the way that protein is so important for women, especially as we age, because we become more and more anabolically resistant. So that means that exercise and nutrition become super important for us to build lean mass. We start to see this in our 30s even, where we're looking at how much protein we need, not only for lean mass development, but also for neurotransmitters, for appetite control, blood glucose control. We see even in sedentary, normal weight, but obese women. So these are women that are look normal weight, but we call them skinny fat because they have a lot of extra fat or sarcopenia. That if they increase their protein intake to the recommended 1.6 grams per kilo from what people typically eat about that 0.8, that over the course of 12 weeks, they completely recomp their body. And that's without exercise. So these are some really cool sedentary studies about how important protein is just to improve body composition. And of course, when you add resistance training in, even if it's a couple of days a week, you want that protein in order to keep that 
skeletal muscle response to keep building that muscle. And we see, you know, within a 24-hour intake as well, you want to have regular doses of protein across the day to keep your metabolism elevated, keep neurotransmitters going to help with sleep and parasympathetic response. Because the amino acids in the protein, not just for lean mass development, but for a lot of body functions. So when we're talking about protein, women tend to not understand how important it is outside of just the lean mass development. You know, it gets put in that box of I'm a bodybuilder, so I need lots of protein instead of I'm a very active or I want to be healthy person and I need protein. I think because we went through that whole high carb, low carb, high fat, low fat, and protein's never really been in the conversation, but it really needs to come to the forefront because so many women are under-proteined. So just a quick caveat, clearly, if you have any kidney disease, anything that has to do with protein has to be coordinated with your medical provider because that is a great limitation should you have any level of kidney disease. Outside of that, I think one of the most exciting things that came out of this was what you said, which is, you know, it's so interesting. I think there was a bias on the part of many scientists and others saying, well, you know, once you hit 60, you know, you just eat a a lot less of everything, right? Only to find out like, well, wait a minute now, what if you're a master's track and field star, you know, and you're 60 and you're in the national senior games. What up with that? You know, you can't be eating less. That's, that's ridiculous. Again, assuming that your kidneys are healthy and all the rest of it. And I think, you know, some of this was prompted by the fact that we have this age-related sarcopenia, um, which occurs in the seventh decade. So I don't care who you are, in the seventh decade of life, you're going to drop some level of muscle mass. And the caveat here, and well, not so much caveat, the hack here is that the more muscle that you've been able to build and hold on to, then when that age-related decrement takes place, it's like no big deal. It's not like, oh my God, I'm now frail. It's like, I can handle this. It's just people who have very little and have allowed you know the muscle to just sort of waft away over the years as they were in their 40s and 50s, now all of a sudden you got yourself a problem. Now, let me ask, if you're like, say, 65 to 70, you're a woman, and you want to gain some muscle mass, understanding now that you've also dropped a little, again, it's just age-related, What's the realistic expectation of a woman actually building lean mass in her mid to late 60s and getting into her 70s? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question because I was reading an article last night on this where they took 70 and 80-year-old women, put them in the, the weight room three times a week and had them do progressive resistance training and they all put on lean mass. They weren't just slowing the rate of decline. They actually put on lean mass and strength. So it's never too late to build that muscle mass. Earlier, of course, is better. But even if you're like, oh, gosh, I'm 65, 70, there's no way I can build this lean mass. It's just the resistance. And I'm not saying go in and lift heavy weights. It could just be something starting with body weight. And it's always looking at the the idea of how do we put more force into the muscle and complement it with some protein. Because when you start thinking about that, then you build that lean mass. 
But part of the problem as we get older is our appetite diminishes as well because we're losing that lean mass and we have some appetite dysregulation. Then people tend to not eat enough, which then slows everything down. And the first thing we lose when we don't eat enough is lean mass. So it's so important to do that resistive force against the muscle to build muscle and to eat that protein. Interesting. This is very hopeful for everyone. Obviously, the stronger you are in terms of both fitness and muscle mass per se as you enter your 60s, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is, you know, out there on the Herb Podcast land, if you happen to be 30, you should be building that strong foundation right now. Yes. Right now. Yes. So that as you enter your 40s and your 50s, you hold on to that and you get stronger and you challenge yourself. And when I say stronger, I mean, do a bunch of different sports if you like to do that. Diversify, challenge yourself, even concentrate on functional training so that you can really get around and do your thing better. So that by the time you do hit the 60s, you're in really great position. I think that's important. I'm curious what your thought is about creatine. The use of creatine for a woman to be able to increase her ability to gain lean body mass. Oh my gosh, creatine is amazing in the fact that it does so much, especially for women. Because when we look, most women are at a disadvantage because we don't store as much as men. And we, for the most part, don't eat enough protein from animal sources per se to build that creatine. So when we're looking at creatine as a supplement, it's the most researched supplement for efficacy and safety. And we're seeing that it's even beneficial during pregnancy. So what creatine actually is, it's the... I guess the precursor for all the fast bioenergetics in, in the body. So we're thinking brain, we're thinking heart, we're thinking muscle, we're thinking gut. But it tends to be put in that category of bodybuilding that, you know, if you want to get big muscles and get strong, you have to do creatine loading to look like Miss Olympia. And that is not what we're talking about. We're talking a very low dose of maybe three grams of creatine monohydrate. And that doesn't come with the side effects of bloating and discomfort. But what it does is it saturates the tissues in the body so that we see from randomized control trials, women have less depressive episodes, they have less GI distress. And then of course you get better muscle function. So the idea behind saturation of the muscle tissue with creatine is now you have the available fuel for those fast twitch contractions. So you're having better muscle control and better muscle quality so that you can get more out of your training to build that lean mass and keep that signaling going. So I can't, I mean, we could do an entire podcast on creatine and the benefits for women and men too, but yeah, it is one thing that I really recommend all women looking into and trying. I think that not enough women even understand what it is. You talk about vitamin D3 and, you know, all these other interesting supplements that one needs to sit down and have a conversation about, do I need, and outside of my natural food, et cetera. Creatine, I find to be extremely interesting. You know, many of my colleagues, one of my subspecialties is critical care. So we actually utilize creatine in the ICU setting to be able to maintain muscle mass at the same time, get this, you've probably read 
that there's another really interesting benefit that people had never really fully appreciated before, which is an enhancement of cognitive performance of all the crazy things. So if we didn't get you at, hey, we can help you build some muscle mass, then we'll get you at cognitive performance because who wants to lose their marbles? Exactly. (laughs) And it's really interesting. You know, Stacey, the first time I read that research, I almost fell off my chair. I said, what? Because I remember the old days when creatine was basically your bodybuilders and, you know, and all the rest of it. And they were just taking mountains of this stuff to be able to build whatever, in addition to some other things we won't talk about, but (laughs) none of which we will talk about. But I think it was kind of the purview of, you know, kind of guy stuff. It was a guy bodybuilding thing. It was a guy athlete thing. And I dare say outside of the women I have worked with at elite levels of bodybuilding at the Miss Olympia and the rest of it, I have never (laughs) run into just a regular, you know, wonderful woman out there, a little, you know, athlete doing it. And I think this is a brand new frontier for women. Now you mentioned three grams, men take five grams. Yeah, we see the efficacy dose for women is between three and five grams and that's it. For the old school bodybuilding, it's five grams four times a day with carbohydrate. And that's why you end up with the water retention and the bloating. But we're looking at that three grams as a starting dose and no more than five grams. It is such a significant benefit over the, you know, you start feeling a benefit within three weeks. Do women feel bloating with the three grams? No, no, they don't. The thing with the creatine is they talk about water retention, but what the water retention is from is when you're dosing it with a higher amount of carbohydrate that's in the recommendations for bodybuilding so that you're pulling water creatine into the muscle to create that pump. And when we're talking about that three grams, there isn't enough there to actually create that pump. When we're looking at five grams, four times a day, that's where you start getting the bloating and the discomfort, but just a little bit of three grams, then, you know, your liver makes about one a day. So when you're looking at three times that it's just a saturation point, it's not a bloating point. Is there a timing situation with taking creatine? If a woman is saying, well, I'm going to work out today at one o'clock. No, there isn't. You can take it whenever because it isn't an acute effect. It takes time for it to build up into the body and to get all the systems going. So like I said, it takes about three weeks for full saturation and that's what you're after. So it doesn't matter when you take it. It's not going to be used acutely during exercise. It's just a way that it builds up into your body. Gotcha. I'm like a nutcase now about creatine. (laughs) (laughs) Because once I read the, you know, you and I are both evidence-based scientists. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, know, show show me the study in a high tier peer review journal and you got my attention. Other than that, it's just crazy bling and I don't want to hear about it. So that's why I wanted to bring this up because I brought up the creatine thing before and I really wanted to kind of drive it home again 
I think it's like super important for women to really hear it from a woman exercise physiologist like yourself. And I use it every day. You use it every day. When do you tend to take it every day? I throw it in my coffee. Wow. And take it in the morning. Okay. I've actually seen it in gummy form now. Yeah. I'm like, take it however it works for you. You know, just make sure you get it in. Yeah. I just love it. All right. So now... One of the things you did in this book, which I thought was absolutely fabulous, was you really went through women's kind of their whole hormonal cycle, as it were, their hormonal journey, and how it is that women's physiology itself, to your whole point of the title of the book, really figures into this. Because I'm just laughing because when I was at the National Institutes of Health, you know, they would say things like, we're not going to test women because they're a problem. I said, excuse me, they're a what? And they said, yeah, they have menstrual cycles. And I said, that's interesting. You use female rats and other female organisms and they have estrous cycles. You don't seem to have any problems with that. Then of course there's always dead silence because I caught him on that one. So yeah, we're more complex and I think we're superior too. Just kidding. (laughs) And so here's the other piece that I'm just so excited that you put in here because I'm on a a couple of boards that have to do with this because it's close to my heart since osteoporosis runs in my family and I'm looking to avoid it. And that is that whole chapter you had on build your bones. You can't be strong if your skeleton is weak. Here's how to fortify your your frame. Tell us how training can help women do that. There's so many different ways of training to improve bone health. And the biggest thing is looking at multidirectional stress because the bone needs to have that multidirectional stress in order to get the stimulus to become stronger. So if we're thinking about training, like running isn't quite enough, walking definitely not, because it's not multidirectional. So we want to look at jump training. And I hear people out there, oh, I can't because of my joints. It's not the typical jump training that you're thinking box jumps type stuff. We see more and more research coming out with relearning how to do specific jump training for bone health, where you are landing and trying to absorb the force as much as possible in your bones and not in your muscle. And it only takes five to 10 minutes a day, three times a week to really improve. Because when you're looking at that kind of training, it's creating a torque that is in all sorts of different directions. So the bone responds in kind. If you're not comfortable with the idea of jump training, then we look at resistance training. And again, if you're looking at lifting weights or having that multidirectional stress through the bone and the tension, it causes you know the response for the bone to be like, hey, wait, I need to be stronger. And if we're thinking about plyometrics or we're thinking about little episodes of battle ropes or anything that's going to cause that multidirectional stress, it improves bone. We also see that, and this is where protein comes back into play, there are a couple of cool studies that came out last month that was looking at protein and the effect of osteoclasts. So it's improving the signaling to improve bone density. So again, as we talk about women getting older, that resistance training and the multidirectional stress protein is so important. I love it. I love it. I just want to touch very quickly on one item 
with the nutrition thing. A lot of women are doing intermittent fasting. For instance, they're doing time-restricted feeding, which basically simply means that they eat within a certain number of hours. It could be they eat over the course of 10 hours, and then they're not eating for 14. Is that okay with you? As long as they're not delaying their food intake in the morning. So if we look at time-restricted eating and the chronobiology and the research that's coming out with that, we see in both men and women, those who delay their food intake till noon or after, and then their eating window is up to about 8 p.m., they end up with obesogenic outcomes. So they're not getting any of the benefit of fasting. We see women and men who break their fast around 8 a.m. and then they stop eating about 5 or 6 p.m. and they have that overnight fast, they get all the benefits that we hear about fasting. The worry with women though is delaying the fast, training in the morning, delaying food intake because there's a bit more of appetite control when you're first getting up. The issue with that is, oh gosh, there's more than one issue, but the biggest thing is the first thing that goes is lean mass. Second thing that happens is you increase your baseline level of cortisol. So you can't get into a parasympathetic drive. You're tired, but wired. You get the signaling to put on visceral fat, not just subcutaneous adiposity, but you're talking about that deep belly fat that's really not healthy. And it has an impact on bone. So you're getting the signaling to the brain as if you were in a low energy state. So everything starts to be conserved. And for women, we see endocrine dysfunction, thyroid dysfunction, and that increase in visceral fat and a decrease in lean mass. So if you are thinking about fasting for the health benefits that we hear, that time-restricted eating needs to be that overnight and breaking the fast in the morning. Excellent. That is so fantastic. I just want to make sure I'm one of those people who loves to finish my meals earlier in the day. In other words, like I'm not eating until 10 p.m. at night, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> just finishing the meal at a very reasonable time, but not doing the late night stuff. I found that to be lethal for women. I mean, especially when it comes to alcohol on top of that. I tend to do the finger wagging right about that time. And sleep, right? So if you're eating within two hours of bed, you absolutely destroy your sleep. And sleep is so important. You know, it's one of, I call it the three pillars of life, exercise, nutrition, and sleep. And people underrate all three of those. So if you're looking at eating late, not only are you disrupting your circadian rhythm per se and creating a cascade of obesogenic outcomes, you're messing up your sleep. And if you're not getting that good deep sleep, then it feeds forward to poor metabolic control and poor parasympathetic drives, just so many things. Oh, I, I completely 100% agree with you. This book is just fabulous. I absolutely love it. When is it available now and where is it available? So the full international release is on the 9th of January. And I like to support all the little local booksellers so you can get them at your local bookshop. But if you are like, there isn't a local one, then you can look at Barnes and Nobles and Amazon. Okay, excellent. Fantastic. And everyone out there, we have been talking once again to Dr. Stacy Sims, S-I-M-S, -S, PhD. You want to learn more about her wonderful work 
absolutely run on over to Dr. Stacy Sims. That's S T A C Y S I M S dot com. So you can actually get a general idea of what she does with the online learning and the material that she has produced. But while you're at it, please, please grab her book, How to Match Your Food and Fitness to Your Unique Female Physiology for a Strong, Lean Body. Give us one last nugget before we close it up here. It doesn't take a long amount of time to get the benefits of exercise. If we look at 10 minutes and doing some short, sharp stuff, that gives you the same benefit as if you were going to go out for a 45 to 60 minute exercise session. So start slow, but start hard. I love it. Start slow, but start hard. That's a great way to put it, by the way. In other words, take this seriously for crying out loud, people. Come on now. This is a lifelong journey. And that's why this is so terribly important. This isn't like, okay, well, I was really, you know, physically active until I was 35. And then I just sort of dropped off, you know, the radar. Uh, 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 uh. No, keep this party going. You may choose a different sport. You may find other kinds of really diverse activities that you like to do. Rock on with your bad self. Just get it done and stay active your entire life. Super, super, super important. Stacey, congratulations on an absolutely fabulous book. Thank you so much. And as you're talking about the training for life idea, not just a short block, I always think of Train with Joan. So if you're not familiar with her, look her up on Instagram, but she is a woman who started her fitness journey in her mid-60s. Now she's stronger, leaner, and fitter than she ever has been in her late 70s. And there's plenty more out there as well. So you've got yoga masters who are 90. I mean, Pilates experts who are 80. I mean, just let it keep rocking. Everyone out there, just stay physically active no matter what. Thank you so much, Stacy, for being on the Herb Podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Run on over to iTunes, everyone. Rate and review the show because I'm waiting for your feedback. And here's another shout out to our sponsor, Solaray. Vitamins, minerals, and herbs rooted in nature. And their brand new Her Life Stages products. All the way from the menstrual years through post-menopause. They've got your back. Run on over to your local health food store to learn more. And also check out solaray.com. This has been another amazing Her podcast. I'm Dr. Pam Peak, your host, and I want to thank each and every one of you for listening in and being such an important part of our Her podcast community. Pop on over to drpeak.com to learn more about my work and social media. Join me every week for another Her Podcast where you're going to hear from extraordinary, entertaining, and engaging thought leaders like Dr. Stacy Sims as we share our wit and wisdom just for you to enjoy. Thanks so much, and remember that your time in this world may be limited, but the things you can do with that time are not. So get on out there and seize the day. Have a great one. <laughs>